Welcome, everybody, to episode 47 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing quite well, Bo. How you doing? I'm not too bad. I, uh, for the last, like I mentioned last podcast, I went home for the weekend and um, definitely imbibed much more than I typically do, and thankfully yeah. didn't, get hung, didn't get hung over. Um, but then for like the last like week and a half decided to most nights have like a drink or two, not much more. I didn't get super, super drunk or anything, just had a drink or two. And it's like, after like a consistent, like 10 days of having like a drink or two drinks a day, like it's starting mm. to catch up to me. And I felt like shit yesterday yeah. and, um, was just like irritated at everything. And we had students and parents emailing the gym with questions and every question was stupid. And so I had to like, ask. so question is, were you aware of it at first or were you like, man, why do I feel like crap? What's going on? Oh, wait, I've had no. alcohol every day for the last yeah. hour long. I knew yesterday morning immediately that I was like, oh yeah. Cause I, I slept really badly. And uh, when I woke up, I wasn't like, I didn't have like a stomach ache or a stuffy nose or like a queasy feeling or a headache or anything. I just felt very uncomfortable in my skin. Mm. Like um, thousands of little needles were like poking me all over my body, but like, oh, but like very lightly, like not enough to where like it like causes a pain. It's just like, I'm just uncomfortable. And it would take me like three minutes to realize why I'm uncomfortable. And then I'd like feel my whole body and be like, guys, I want to like stretch everything and like put my hand over my head and stretch my spine and like move. And, and then whenever I did it and work and then I'd forget about it and then it would I'd feel uncomfortable like an hour later and then I couldn't pinpoint it. And then I'm and my face would hurt. And I like, you know, you get like um, you stare at the sun too long or so you're outside too long and then your eyes and your cheeks hurt. Yep. It also happens when you like smile too much because you're socializing and people shouldn't socialize. It's like the same feeling. And I was like, what the fuck's wrong? And then um, this is all at like five in the morning. So I'm like, okay, like it's, this is why. It's because I, I, I've had a good amount of water. I've been eating fairly well, but it's because I've had like a drink or two every night for like the last week and a half. And I'm like, my body's just like, fuck you. Slow poison. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like what the fuck are you doing? And so I didn't drink last night. And, um, don't remember falling asleep and woke up at four, like just slept all through the night. Um, and was like, oh, hell yeah. And then I went back to sleep again until 530 and woke up and felt like shit because it was like a, a shitty 90 minutes of sleep. But <laughs> so I should have just gotten up at four instead of sleeping until 530, <laughs> which everyone Oops. listening is probably like, that's not sleeping in. You're insane. But um, but yeah, and so that's uh, that, that was that was no fun. I didn't really enjoy that at all. It's uh Cause I'm, I like to social drink and like my girlfriend and I like watch a movie and I like to like pour a glass of whiskey and we'll like watch it. And we watched the whole blade series the last few days. Oh, right on. So if you've ever seen those, they're amazing. I think I've only seen the first one and that was a long time ago. How many of them are there? There's three. Um, okay. but, uh, they get progressively better in my opinion. Um, <laughs> <laughs> better in all the worst ways <laughs> yeah i, I don't it, they're all different the second one's definitely the worst of the three for sure um the first one's very original and gritty and hilarious and uh, awesome the second one is dorky but they still do a good job i think the third one is just hilarious and amazing it's got uh an extremely young jessica beale and ryan reynolds oh okay because it came out in like 2003 or four i think and um 
And so they're both like very young. And looking back now, when I we watched it last night, it was like watching Deadpool talk. Like, cause he, cause it's like Ryan Reynolds hasn't <laughs> changed in a movie since then. Yeah. He was like making inappropriate comments. Um, he like told the bad, he told the, um, he called the, uh, the bad girl in it, like the evil girl, uh, who's like the second evil person, like the main evil person is actually Dracula. Um, and she's like his little hench, hench, hench woman. He called her a thunder cunt and then told her to go <laughs> fuck a horse. <laughs> like just some of the most absurd insults. And you're just like, damn, right. Ryan Reynolds. And then it's like, he said all this shit in all the Deadpools. Like it's just yeah. the same stuff, but like ten or fifteen years later, <laughs> wasn't he uh, Van Wilder? Yeah, he was that also was Van Wilder. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 that came out like a year or two later, I think, or maybe it was a year okay. before. I can't remember, but they were all around the same time. And um, and so it's it's I forgot how funny he was in it, even though like the jokes are really inappropriate in Blade Three and Blade Trinity. My bad, um, but uh, like they're they're my kind of inappropriate. Like I love over the <laughs> edge, like probably should, would not be allowed to be said right now humor so right and he delivers um and so yeah the, the movie's funny and uh dracula comes alive after hundreds of years of hibernation in, in uh sumeria and, or albania i guess technically and um it, yeah there's like a sword fight at the end and blade fights with honor and so dracula like gives him a parting gift and imitates him so that people think they've caught blade and he died like it's it, it's the storyline's like super corny but um because it's all based on like a dark comic right because blade's like an anti-hero you know and um but uh yeah I, I used to watch those movies all the time with my dad when i was a teenager um i think there's there's been like more than one occasion where we would like binge watch all three in a day oh, okay we're like we just like it was like winter time or something we'd be hanging out on like a saturday and didn't, didn't want to do much so we'd like you turn the heat up and burn some incense and watch all three blade movies for like five hours, <laughs> like order some pizza and just hang out. Yeah. yeah. Just, you, sometimes you just want to watch movies all day. Like that's what we would do. Um, yeah. Dude, I used to do that with my old man, but we were both night owls. So we would, uh, now mind you, this is back in the day with wait for it. VHS tapes, mm -hmm. be kind, rewind. Yep. We'd, uh, rent three movies and yep. start watching between 9 and 10 p.m. And just blaze through them all until, you know, like 4 in the morning or something. But same type of thing. Just kick back and watch a bunch of movies and chill. So, um, yeah. Like cheesy, terrible yeah. action movies. Like oh, the yeah. 80s action. Yeah, just, I love it. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so what, is it, uh, what does it mean to rent a movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just fucking with you. We, we would go to Hollywood Video and... Uh, um, you, they used to have the five for five. You can rent five movies for five dollars on like Fridays. Yeah, and um, you could have you gotta have them for five or five movies for five dollars for five days. So you could have them. For, yeah, and uh, that was like the special deal. And we'd actually go in sometimes and rent a few, and then come back later that day and rent more. Oh jeez. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because we get like two or three movies, and we just watch them, and then come back and rent some more, and then. Um, I, I used especially especially before I can drive at sixteen seventeen. Um, well, I guess till 17, 18, cause I, I got my license at 16, but we didn't have a car for me until I was like a senior in high school, I think if I remember right. And so, um, I wasn't driving much in between, but, um, 
I would often just hang out with him on the weekends. Sometimes I go hang out with friends and stuff, but mostly like we would just hang out. And so I go over Saturday, maybe go home and then come over on Sunday and we just spend the whole days together. And um, which was really nice is often we just watch a shit ton of movies. He grew up on 80s movies, so 70s and 80s movies. So we watched like the whole gamut of shitty action movies. Um, I've seen everything with Kurt Russell, with uh, with, with Bruce Willis. Um, Eric Roberts is the yeah. bad guy in like nine different movies. All the Mickey, all the old school Mickey Rourke movies, except yeah. for Nine and a Half Weeks. We did not watch that one together because <laughs> that'd be really awkward because <laughs> it's basically a porno. And um <laughs> But yeah, all, all all the movies, all the low budget films, um, a lot of the older seventies movies. Uh, we watched a lot of British comedies too, like uh, the Full Monty things like that. Not, I've never okay. seen um, Monty Python's. We never watched those, but uh, like the the eighties and nineties British comedies were quite good. Um, a lot of the old drug movies too. So uh, Spun, um, Train Spotting, Crank. Oh yeah, oh yeah, all those. Um, all that kind of shit Train was real good. Great. Train Spot is fucking movie. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Ewan McGregor's first movie. That was his first. First movie. I did not know that. Okay. Yep. yep that was his first movie. And then um, Johnny Lee Miller, the oh. uh, uh, pretty boy, I think is what his name was in that. Uh, yeah. He's the, he's the main, the other main guy in the second one too. Um, yep. He got that role, even though he's English, not Irish. Because Danny Boyle saw him in the movie Hackers with Angelina Jolie. Oh, really? Which okay. we watched that movie. That was like an old school, like 1994 or some shit. Yeah. It was. Uh, and so anyone listening who's never seen Hackers, go watch it. It is a cult classic um, about how to hack into like a computer system in the early 90s with like DOS systems. Yeah, dude, that's those Fuck. are fun to go back and just see the old tech and to see their predictions of future tech and how yeah. wrong it is. And I yeah, know, right? So fun. And yeah. he saw him act in that as like a young 20 something. And he's like, oh, I think you could learn an Irish accent and play in this like authentic Irish movie in Ireland. I don't know. <laughs> he did a good job. I, I, apparently, he didn't get much hate for his accent. Apparently, okay. he did a very good job. And people at the time were like, not because a lot of times, you know, the actors will do. Um, They'll try and imitate a- accents, in particular, Americans will try and imitate um, English accents and British accents, Australian, and they just do a shit job. Yeah, because I think it's easier to imitate like a, a like a, at least a Western American accent because it's ours is like the easiest accent I think to do because there's not a lot of hard syllables and and hard colloquial like uh, so, uh, the way our voices move is, is is fairly smooth compared to like everywhere else in the U.S. But I think everyone in America kind of fucks it up when they do other accents. People get really pissed. But I guess he did a good job. I guess he worked really hard and no one knew. But yeah, I love that. That movie's so good. So fucked up, but so good. Yeah, um, for sure. I wonder like if you're living in, well, I imagine it depends where, but let's say like Northern England, um, how many Irish accents do you encounter on a regular basis? So that would make it easier, right? Like if you're hearing Irish accents all the time, then it's oh, going to yeah. be a lot easier for you to do that. Uh, I guess it'd be kind of like, uh, I don't know, living in Arizona and doing a Southern accent or something like you're pretty close and there's plenty of folks with Southern accents that you hear all the time. Yeah. So that makes it a lot easier versus, you know, someone up North 
trying to do a, a Georgian accent or right, right, or, right, a Cajun accent. Yeah, try and do Cajun if you if you're not used to listening to the Cajun people, well, it's gonna be tough. And then the difference between both of those and like a, a Southern versus like Northern Texas accent, and then you have Appalachian yeah. accent, which is vastly different from all of those. And then you have the Creole accent, so like Southern Louisiana, where yep. it's even more different. And they often, um, you know, because it's a pidgin language, they often throw in. Um, Portuguese and uh, French into the into their accent too, and so or it, words into into their uh, vocabulary. So there's that, and then there's yeah. the um, and then there's the African influence because a lot of Cre- the Creole language is, is Southern blacks, and so they 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 throw in um, some of the, some of their own their own their own little uh, um, Haitian and Caribbean Afro Caribbean uh, uh, French spin to it. Um, mm. Hell, I, I was I didn't surprised. know there was a Portuguese influence. I knew about French, I, I, French I believe, and everything, but yeah, okay. I believe there's a bit of a Portuguese influence as well. Um, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty certain that there's some Portuguese influence um, just with uh, uh, the movement from Brazil up into the Caribbean islands, into um, the Gulf and into Florida and things like that. Um, Makes sense. It's a, there was a lot of migration that way up, uh, up into the Southern, Southern parts, um, from, from what I understand. And so, uh, um, you, you get, you get a mix of that, um, and, uh, Portuguese, um, Spanish, French, they are functionally similar. Like th- there's a lot of words that, that do overlap very similarly oh, yeah. enough that, um, it's uh while they are obviously very different um that's probably why the the creole like the the the, what they call you know they call it a pigeon language um why it meshed together is because the words were so similar they just kind of like hybridized them all and just formulated their own jargon essentially um and that was kind of because there was a lot of uh, similarities and so um i mean you see that in brazil most people speak portuguese but it's from what i understand too it's a bit of a hybrid between portuguese and spanish um you see that everywhere really yeah yeah no true language very very true have you ever seen a dialect coach and i've seen a few of these on youtube but a dialect coach that does a flyover over a map i've seen it in england or I should say the whole, that part of the, the UK and also for America. But basically, as you're looking at the map, they'll move to these different regions and take on that accent, explain the differences of the accent. That's cool. And historically, why it came to be that way. It's fucking no. fascinating. I've never seen that, but that would be so amazing to see. Like it's 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 worth a look. And if listeners, if you got a couple minutes to kill, um, just look up, you know, uh, dialect coach map flyover or something like that on youtube it's fucking fascinating i mean you know it makes sense if somebody's that's that's what they do if they get paid right. to be a voice coach for actors and shit they're gonna know their stuff um but to to actually hear it and to hear the similarities and differences as you're going through the different regions uh kind of puts it all together a little bit it's pretty cool yeah i just uh just i just youtube that so i'm gonna be watching that because that, yeah. that sounds like a lot of fun yeah it's I, when I went to London for my study abroad, uh, the la- my last quarter of college, um, I went in the summer. And so I actually extended my graduation date to August as opposed to June. Um, this is a slight tangent and aside, but if you're a matriculated college student, it means you're enrolled, essentially, like you're enrolled in school. And okay. so there's a, there's a difference in cost per credit or per class because they usually charge per credit. 
Yeah. Um, if you're matriculated or non-matriculated. So if I would have graduated in June and went to London, it would have been like $4,000 more for me to go to London for five weeks to do a study abroad than if I was a matriculated student, so a current student. But I had to get permission from my advisor to extend my graduation date to save all that money. Um, hmm. And my, I, I almost didn't get permission because I had enough credits to graduate. The, the trip wasn't necessary. And this was in 2010, so students were... Um, staying in school longer because the job market was shit. No one was getting hired in 2010. It was like right. most people took like a year to get hired out of college at that time. And so they were like, I'm just going to stay in school for a year, maybe get two bachelors and maybe all of them. But yeah, so I went and I didn't really think about it much at the time, but when I went to London, we traveled all around and I actually went to a few other countries, but I was shocked at the hearing Londoners talk about the dip, how they could, identify the difference between um in dialect between where people lived in london versus uh, um ireland scotland and uh, welsh um you know all that all the differences yeah, uh, yeah. the different islands and stuff all the dialects are different and for me like some of the thicker irish and scottish accents were very clearly different than like the the main Londoner British accent, because you can't understand. Like, as an example, when Conor McGregor lost two weeks ago to Dustin Poirier, mm -hmm. he broke his foot trying to throw a punch. Um, and then he was like complaining. I couldn't understand a fucking word he said because his accent's so <laughs> thick. Like, I'm pretty sure he called Dustin Poirier's like wife or girlfriend like a, a hoe or a whore or yep, something. Sure did. And then he said a couple, of, but I only knew that because it, it sounded like he said hoe or whore, but I couldn't tell the difference because of his accent. And so I was like, Oh, he must be making fun of her. Like what a poor loser. But I, I couldn't understand anything he was saying. And then when he won like a fight prior or some shit, he was like talking shit to the person, but I didn't understand a word of it because his accent is so thick. And the Londoners were like, Oh no, we can totally tell the difference between that accent and someone who's further North and someone who's on this Island and someone who's Scottish versus Irish. And like someone who's who works on a farm in Ireland versus a city dweller. Like they're all the accents are different. I'm like, Holy fuck. And then they explained how they can tell the differences between Americans. And then I learned that basically all news reporters, at least nationally syndicated news reporters in America, they have a Western American accent. Which is supposed to be basically the, the non-accent accent. The non-accent, correct, yeah. yeah. And because um, apparently studies have found that it's the easiest to understand and it's the most pleasant for the average person to like listen to or something. Um, even though I think people tend to like the more exotic style, like everyone loves a British accent, right? Like what's the, yep. the atypical, like boy that a girl wants to fall in love with is like the, the tall British guy with the British accent. Yeah. You know, like if every book, if every audiobook was done by a British guy, like everyone would listen to books more like that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but what you actually want to hear the news with is, is a non-accent, which is the American accent for American Americans, um, the Western one. And so, and then I started to think like, holy crap, like I could actually... It'd be difficult, but I could tell the difference between an accent in Southern Texas versus Arizona versus Louisiana versus Florida. And then when I went to Maine for my jujitsu camp, like I couldn't quite tell where people were from, but there was a difference between those people who were in Connecticut versus Vermont versus um, other parts of New England, like Boston or New York or New Jersey. And those people were very attuned to like, I can tell by your accent, you're, you know, you're from Boston, not from New Jersey which are like, it's like an hour drive or something like with tra with traffic. It's like two hours. I think it's not very far away. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of traffic. Like on a map, it's like a thumbnail. 
you know, it's like from, from here to Seattle. And so, but with the traffic, it's two or three hours, but the, they can, the accents are totally different and they can really tell where you're from. And it's like, I'd never thought about it until like seeing, being exposed to it with, you know, Western Europeans is very fascinating. Yeah, I like, did that kind of thing. I actually did. I scored big. I got lucky. So I had just recently watched one of the aforementioned videos with the dialect coach. Um, and I was doing an event, setting up lighting at a big old nine-figure ridiculous house, blah, blah, blah. And the uh, the property manager, because homeowners don't take care of any of that shit themselves, the property manager <clears throat> was from somewhere in England. Um, and I, I was chatting with him. I was like, hey, wait, let me guess. Can I guess your accent? He's like, yeah, take a shot. I said, London proper. He's like, wow, how'd you do that? So, uh, I told him about the videos and shit that I watched. Um, and then he went on to explain that, yeah, just a matter of a few miles away, yep. basically in any direction, the accents change and how, yep. you know, if you live there, you can tell all the differences. It's, uh, it's fairly intricate. It, it varies. And it's fascinating, like how, like you said, a few miles is all, is all the difference. Yeah. You know, um, an interesting example that I've never thought of until just now, but back home in Southern Washington, which is smaller, less populated, generally more conservative, um, much more farmland, that kind of thing. Um, it is common to say Washington is Washington with an <laughs> R. Yeah. It's like extremely common. And I just realized that I don't think I have heard anyone in King County, so near Seattle, ever refer to Washington as Washington. Yeah, I've that would only definitely ever, read as an accent, yeah. Yeah, I've only ever heard it in Southern Washington. And I've never said it because it always bothered me because it's not how you say Washington. <laughs> like it's, it's, like it's just an, in, an intentional mispronunciation and misspelling of the word. It, so like I just I, I've never understood it, but like my whole family says it that way. Um, most parents of the friends of mine, like most people that I've met down there, it is Washington, and um, you know, welcome to Washington. And um, I I don't I don't know why, but I've never heard it anywhere else. And I wonder if that's just like one of those random accent things, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, this, I think this, the the Puget Sound area in general. Uh, for the, and if listeners are not familiar with Washington, there's a a sound a little the, the bit of water that comes in and Seattle butts up against it and Tacoma and all the rest of it. Um, outside of that area, outside of the greater Puget Sound area, is effectively a different state. Yep. Like outside that metropolitan area where you know most of the stuff, if you will, happens the uh, larger industries and whatnot uh, and population. I think like eighty percent of, of the population is yeah, is, in, yeah. is in Tacoma and Seattle like together or something like crazy like that or in, in yeah, the it's all, ten miles surrounding both. Yeah, and then you get out and it's much much more rural, and you know attitudes are different, much more conservative, uh, and then you go over the mountains into eastern Washington, and I think that really could be a different state. You could chop the state in half across the mountains, and eastern yep. Washington can be its own thing because it's completely different. Yep. Um, and yeah, just 100%. about every way. Yeah. Yep. They uh, um, <clears throat> much friendlier. Yep. I'll give them that. I every time I've ever been to the east side, uh, everyone is super fucking friendly. Um, I think that's common based on uh, population. 
wherever yeah. you go. If you got to cram people into small spaces, you get a lot more, um, a lot more just interested in your own life yeah. and what's going on versus giving a shit about anybody else, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, New York um, being probably the, the most prominent I, I, example. I was just thinking of that <clears throat> and I, uh, I was talking to some people when I was in, in Maine about like, we're, I forget why we were on this. We we're talking about going through airport security on the way and you have to wear your masks in airports and stuff. And the TSA agent, it's like, you know, we pull your mask down, please. And I pull my mask down and I smiled and, and, and the guy laughed and he's like, nice. He's like, nice. And I was like, what? He's like, your hair migrated down, you know, cause I used in my <laughs> picture, it's, it's the picture I took when I was 18. And so oh, I have no, <laughs> yeah, I never updated it and I look way better in it. And I have hair on my head. It's not fully, it's not really receding. And then I have no facial hair and now everything's kind of down. I have no hair on my head and I have facial hair. And so I was telling him the story about that and blah, blah, blah. And uh, one of the guys, he's from Hoboken, New Jersey. And I don't know exactly where that is compared to other like boroughs or whatever in New Jersey, but it's a part of New Jersey. And he's, he's like, he's like, what the fuck? He's like, he's like, when I went through the airport to get here, he's like, I shit you not. The TSA guy goes, take your fucking mask off. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, take off your Service fucking mask. <laughs> right, take off your fucking mask. <laughs> he's like, that's how people are in New Jersey. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's like, New Jersey, New York, like everyone's just an asshole. He's like, if you were to smile at someone on the street in New Jersey, they'd be like, what the fuck are you smiling for? You want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, I saw yeah. an episode of Jersey Shore that tracks. Like that's about what I would have expected. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you're right. I think um, you get smaller populations; people are less crowded, so that's part of it. Um, people tend to know each other more, and so uh, you're less anonymous. And so, by necessity, you need to, I think, get along. Yep. Yeah. Um, when there's more people in a in a in a given group, there's more. Um, mini groups within the group that can form so you can find your your click and then get along and not have to worry right yeah and so um you see that with like big high schools there's a lot of social clicks and then you get outside of your social click and it's in high school you're you're gonna get it you know you're gonna get eaten alive right so everyone sits at the right table you sit at the wrong table you're probably gonna get beat up if you know that kind of thing right um but you get small schools and it's a lot less, you're, you're you're not really gonna have that you're gonna everyone's you, you're gonna hang out with your few friends and, and stuff but you're by and large going to associate because you have a graduating class of a hundred people. So it's like, <laughs> you've known all these people since elementary anyway. So yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, like I, I, uh, my school's, uh, my high school is about 2000 students. And so it was 400 people or so 450 graduating student uh, class each year, that kind of thing. And so, um, I didn't know everybody very well. And so there was definitely a lot of clicks. Um, and, uh, I know some small kids from people from smaller schools who were like, no, I mean, the people I didn't like, we didn't hang out, but we basically all had the same classes together. Like there was, you know, and I think it's like that with most small towns. You just kind of tend to know everyone. So you kind of by necessity have to get along or you kind of, you become the, the town pariah. Yeah. And so, you know, that probably is in part where that uh, small town hospitality comes from, you know, everyone's well, just like, from, from what I understand, the rumor mill is super intense in small yeah. towns. Like, yeah, people, people want to get into your business and they'll spread it around and lots of oh, gossip yeah. and shit like that. So, yeah, no, no, very, very true. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And so, uh, one of the, I actually like the East side of the state for that because they're not cold. Everyone's very friendly, a lot of smiles, a lot of pleasantness. Um, and it's just nice. Like it, it uh, 
my town was a little bit like that. My town was fairly small. I think about 12 to 20,000 people. I think it was about 12,000, maybe closer to 20, but I can't remember exactly. And a lot of it was unincorporated. So people lived off in the woods and stuff, but um, it was just small enough that like everyone was decently friendly, even though there's high drug use and high crime rate. So it was um, not the safest place, but you stay out of the pockets where it's dangerous. People are pleasant. And uh, like, I, 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 that's one of the things I like about living where we live is that the towns are small enough that people are generally pretty nice. Yeah. Like, People will smile and wave when I walk around. And I mean, I ignore people in the store, so I don't know if they do in the store. I don't, I actively run from people I recognize in the store. I hate talking to people in the store, but, um, <laughs> so I, I Hey Bo, is that you? Fucking take off. <laughs> like, I don't even give a shit. Um, I'm, I'm like the teacher who sees kids outside of work and I'm like, you, what is, uh, uh, um, uh, what's his face? Um, Bradley Cooper from hangover. He's like, school's out. I don't know you. Like right when he's like leaving <laughs> to go like jump in the car to go to the bachelor party. Like I'm like that person. It's like, I don't fucking know you. Like I'm not going to see, I don't have any family members up here. So I don't think, no, I don't have any family members. So it's like, I, I'm not going to don't care. <laughs> so if, if you go to a store that I go to, Dan, I'm probably going to ignore you just as an FYI. <laughs> well, let me get way more fun. Cool. <laughs> I'll be sure to stalk you for at least 15 minutes. Right. No, like I've said hi before. Like I actually ran into uh, Rob from our gym uh, leaving, um, leaving the store. I was actually in my car driving away and he was getting out of the car with his son. And he, he'll never, if he listens to this, we talked for like five minutes, but I saw him and was like, I don't want to stop and say hi. So I was going to keep going. <laughs> and he recognized me. He was like, Hey Bo. And so like, I stopped and said hi to him, but I was going to just keep going. Like, I was like, I, I'm hungry. I want to get home. Like, I, I don't want to stop in the middle of the parking lot and talk to anybody, even though I haven't seen Rob in a while and I like him and would love to know how he's doing. It's like, I'm just going to keep going. This is still technically <laughs> the store for me. The fucker saw me. So can't I see stopped. Me, can't see me. Can't see me. Oh, hey, how <laughs> you doing? Then <laughs> it was good to talk to him. Like I, I don't dislike talking. Like I said, I really like Rob. But it was one of those things where I was like, "Fuck!" Like I, I should just wear. When we had to first start wearing masks, when the pandemic first started, I didn't want to wear them. But I was like, "Now, hopefully, no one will recognize me. I don't talk to anybody." There was something to be said for the anonymity. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I think two weeks later, I saw I saw someone from jujitsu in the store. Dawn, she recognized me and said hi, and then I had to talk to her. And I like Dawn. Love Dawn and Tom. <laughs> I lo- love them. It's her, her husband and, and their kids. And, you know, like, I, I babysat their dogs and chickens a while back. Like, But I was like, this. I don't like talking to people in stories. It's a weird quirk that I have. And I, I knew who it was because I. You know, she's hard to, she's easy to recognize, especially because she's got, like, long red hair. And I was like, God damn it. She saw me. I was like, fuck. And... <laughs> I, in uh, in my, one of my old jobs, um, I because like all my old coworkers knew this about me. This is like a, a quirk that I've had for like most of my life, and they all knew it. And we hired someone new to like essentially be my assistant in my old job. And one of my coworkers was telling my assistant, uh, telling her about my weird quirk, and she thought it was funny. And I don't think she actually believed what my my coworker said because. It was like a week or two into her working there. And my coworker's like, yeah, if you see Bo outside of work, he will ignore you. It's not being an asshole. It wasn't like talking to people. And she's like, ha ha ha. I think you're joking. And then like 
a week later, I saw her in a Safeway with her with her spouse, and I literally ignored them. I just like well, I just like pushed my card away. Like I just like I don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> I just like pushed it away. And her, I heard her spouse actually ask her. She's he's like, isn't that the person you work for? What's wrong with him? She's like, he doesn't like talking to people outside of work. <laughs> You can't see me. I was just like, I, I'm on a mission to get shit and get out of here. Like, I'm not trying to like make friends and meet new people. I didn't know her spouse, so I didn't want to meet him. I was like, I don't care. Like, I'll meet you later. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get paid to talk to you. <laughs> exactly. And so, um, I've I've talked with people more and more as the years have progressed in in stores and outside of the off, outside of like work. Um, but uh, it, yeah, in grocery stores in particular. I, it's a weird quirk I have. Like I'm not there to like dawdle. I just want to get in and get out and get my, there's always too many people. So I don't want to deal with it. And it's, uh, you, cause if I'm going to chat with somebody, I haven't seen them. Like I want to chat with them, but I don't want to stand for 20 minutes in a store chatting while I'm holding groceries, especially because I buy a lot of meat. So it's like the longer I stand here, like the warmer it gets that it's like, I'm trying, you know, I just want to get home and put it in the fridge and cook it and eat it. I'm on a schedule here, people. Yeah, Come it's on. like I, yeah, I got, I got beef to eat. You know, like, <laughs> what the fuck? Oh shit! <laughs> so hey, should we, uh, should we talk about some of the stuff going on with the dark horse? Oh yeah, let's Just talk to, about uh, uh, shift gears abruptly here. Let's talk about um, all the crazy shit in the world. <laughs> so recently, um, the uh, the dark horse podcast, of which we have spoken several times with uh, Dr. Brett Weinstein and Dr. Heather Hying. Um, for the longest time, it seemed like they were kind of flying under the radar um, because they've been speaking truth, which is often not allowed these days. But uh, they finally started getting some some pushback and some of their videos have been taken down from YouTube. Um, We've talked about that actually already. Yeah, yeah specifically mm -hmm. talking about ivermectin. So... The saga continues, and recently there was an article that came out from Quillette. Now, to me, this is kind of extra interesting because what Quillette is, is it's a uh, uh, website with articles and also a podcast. Uh, they probably do a few other things. But they are, what do they call it, the home for heterodox ideas or something to that effect. Um, they pride themselves on being heterodox in their thinking and in their communications. Yeah, they're one of the and, few news outlets or like article uh, 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 places online that's um, not uh, ideologically bent. Right. Right, I think is the best way to put that. Like, you know, you have all your other mediums for news and for articles and things that that are very clearly one way or the other. There's very few that are like, let's tackle this like down the center and let's look at, let's look at all the issues and entertain all the ideas and not just throw the baby out with the bathwater as it were. That's Quillette. And they've gotten a lot of shit for it by ideologically bent organizations for calling the left and the right out for their stupid shit. Right. As such, I have considered it a somewhat trustworthy source for news and news and information. Sure listen to their podcast all the time, et cetera. Well, recently they, uh, they had an article. This is uh, looking for COVID-19 scare quote, miracle drugs, question mark. We already have them. They're called vaccines. 
Uh, that's a little clickbaity, but whatever. Kind of give them a pass on that. Mm-hmm. And what they proceed to do, and this was uh, authored by um, Claire Berlinski and Yuri Dagan, who, again, have been people that if I hear them giving information, I'm like, oh, okay, these are this is probably somewhat legit yeah. because I don't think that they're tied into to all the uh, ideology. They're making good faith arguments with exactly. their, with their, with yes. their work. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, this article seems to be steering a slightly different direction. Yeah, um, it was very negative. It yeah, here's how it opens up. And I, I think the, the tone is what really uh, started throwing red flags for me. Uh, but it opens up, Brett Weinstein, a former professor of biology at Evergreen State College, is best known for being hounded off his own campus in 2017 by a horde of social justice zombies who themselves seem to resemble nothing so much as a lab accident gone wrong. I want to pause there for a second because that yeah. is, I think, the one of the best explanations of what happened in Evergreen that I've ever heard. <laughs> and I actually mean that. Like, that is one of the most succinct and aptly described um, uh, explanations of the students and what went on at that fucking college. Is a yeah. lab experiment gone wrong? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I, I love when you sent me this. I was like, I love this article, and then it gets downhill. So go ahead and continue. A little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, it says uh, having become martyr of hyper progressive ideological mania, Weinstein resigned, sued, won, starred in a documentary about the experience, and that's a weird way to phrase that, but there was a documentary, uh, and embarked upon a new career as a podcaster. Okay, cool. Uh, it goes on to explain a bit that, uh, you know, the podcast is getting some good traction and people trust his voice, particularly in a time, uh, you know, during a pandemic where everything is one side or the other and politicized, etc. Um, then it goes on to say, recently, Weinstein has graduated from entertaining theories that might not be right, but could do no harm to theories that cannot be right and are sure to do harm. Because of Weinstein's prominence and the trust his listeners place in him, this harm can be measured and is considerable. His promotion of outright quackery during a pandemic that has killed more Americans than any catastrophe since the Civil War is immoral. What in the actual fuck? Yeah. Uh, the, and the reason I say it that way is even if you disagree with any of the hypotheses that that Brett or Heather are advancing, I think it's important to respect that they are doing so in a scientific manner. There's there's no fucking quackery about this. Yeah. Um, which is one of the reasons that I I am a listener of the Dark Horse and I do trust them because not necessarily who they are. But the fact that they are um, very meticulous about staying true to the scientific method whenever possible. Um, They're evolutionary biologists. They obviously understand the scientific method, but more important, they adhere to it. And if they're wrong, they say so. Yes. They, on numerous occasions, have done corrections, um, none of which that I've seen have been egregious, but still very nice to get the facts right. And, and clarify things uh, when needed and, you know, correct wrong statements, et cetera. Um, but in terms of their methodology of dispensing information, 
to my mind, they are incredibly trustworthy because they're not trying to stroke their own egos. They're not trying to, to fucking clickbait people or, or any of that. They, they really have um, an allegiance to the truth, which I think that's the you know, most important thing to, to start out with. So then to, to take that, to, to call that quackery and uh, accuse him of being immoral, and this is the third paragraph in, mm-hmm. I think is very much starting off on a bad note. Um, it then goes in, and, and on the Dark Horse, they have addressed this article, uh, and they've also addressed it in more detail in writing. Unfortunately, I haven't come across that particular rebuttal just yet that was in writing, but I did listen to their podcast. And the rest of this article on Quillette is just, uh, it's not great. Whether it has this kind of name-calling tone to it, or it's just inaccurate and incorrect in terms of talking about um, scientific studies and things like that, it's a little bit shocking. Yeah. It very much has the smell of something that you would see on a more mainstream piece. Um, There was one, and I'm trying to find the spot here, but the, the gist of it was that they're talking about ivermectin in use as a prophylactic. And, you know, Brett's claiming its effectiveness they are trying to refute that claim. And to point this out, they point to a study in which um, a, a, I think it was like 400 people that were uh, antibody positive, like they had COVID, were given ivermectin and tracked to, to see how it does. Well, hang the fuck on. Prophylaxis is about prevention. Therefore, you don't want to do that study on people that already fucking have COVID. That's not to say that's not something else to study as well, but that is such a fundamental flaw in the methodology. That is that that's that is apples and oranges. You're not yeah. talking about the same thing. Um, so that that was like a really a, a glaring flaw in their argument, and there are a few more along those lines. Um, but again, I was really you know frankly I was saddened. Like it took a big chunk of my trust that I have with Quillette. Um, and uh, flush that shit down the toilet. So it seems that this the the pushback that the dark horse is getting is starting to come from areas that I would have considered the same team, if you will. Unfortunately, we have to break this down into teams, but that's the way it shakes out. Um, and that's fucking concerning. It's like, yes. damn, Quillette's supposed to be the good guys, and now they're going after Brett and Heather. And, of course, as good scientists, Brett and Heather... Um, come back with more science you know they they refute this meta-analysis that was done so brett basically challenged their idea of how drastically this meta-analysis would change if you removed a couple of the studies that were not considered the highest um highest certainty that the um, effects are something you can count on and Quillette is essentially saying, well, if you remove these two studies that, you know, weren't all that certain, then it just changes everything. So Brett did exactly that with the doctor that did the original meta-analysis with a screenshot of the software that she is using to do said meta-analysis. They took it out, re-ran it, um, and the results actually went up 
by a very small fraction, but rather than being completely diminished and not showing any promise, it showed yeah. ever so slightly more promise. Interesting. Um, I didn't see the video. Yeah. You sent me the video when I said I had a chance to watch it. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's on their channel. You can check it out on the Dark Horse. Yeah. But it, it just, it really reeks of this foregone conclusion um, as a as a basis for testing a hypothesis. And, and, you know, we're seeing this all over the place, but it's, you know, we know that this thing is to be, so we are going to run these studies to prove that that is how it is. Mm -hmm. And that's not fucking science. That's, you know, that's the definition of confirmation bias. You yeah. believe a certain thing and you're just trying to prove it to be true. Uh, and that's just not how the scientific method works. Uh, so that was a bummer, you know? It's like Quillette just lost a whole bunch of trust points with me. That makes me a bit sad. Yeah, I, I, I too found the article very um, negative. I liked that whoever these people were, because I actually didn't recognize the names of the authors, but I liked that they challenged what Brett and the other two doctors said. I think that's important. Absolutely. They should challenge it. Um, the tone of it, however, left me feeling that there was something more under the surface for the two authors than they were writing about. Like yes. it, it struck me as there was much more of it, like a, maybe it was personal or there was an agenda or it's like, I, I couldn't quite figure it out. And part of the reason was, and, and this could be in part based on my misremembering the initial sit down with the two doctors and Brett. Cause I watched, uh, I forget the two doctors names, but I, I, I watched most of that. And, um, and just how they, how the authors portrayed what they were talking about was interesting. Um, just as if it was like somehow this miracle cure that should be used instead that we don't even need the vaccines. Like th this is ivermectin cures it all. And like, I don't ever remember them once saying that I, that ivermectin actually cures the virus. Nope. It, what I remember them saying is that first off, it, 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 it was seemed to be a f fairly effective, at least as a prophylactic. So at um, halting the symptoms, essentially, like you, you take it and if you get COVID, because it doesn't stop you from getting COVID, um, the symptoms are very minimal or non-existent. Yeah. And then the other thing that I remember them mentioning is that there was apparently a, a, some studies that showed that um, patients who took it while they were in the hospital from COVID, so they were like already super sick, they saw like a dramatic reduction in symptoms and were... Um, able to, to go about the daily lives quicker. You know, so instead of being three, six, eight weeks or whatever, like with that, the wheeze and the cough and the fatigue and all that, it was like a couple of days of, of continuing to take ivermectin. Um, it would, it would clear up all those symptoms. You had to continue to take it, but it would clear them up. And so they're like, what the hell? Like this, this, this is a big deal. And that is a big deal if that's what happens. And the, the, the authors of the paper portrayed it as like, they were basically saying this is a miracle drug that should replace the vaccines and it's going to be the cure-all. And it's like, they're having different arguments. Yeah. And they're really angry about what they're saying. And it's like, you're arguing... It's, and the other part, part, part too, and this is uh, my unsophisticated take, and I think this is actually a take that most people who would read that article will have too, because the article does cite a lot of... Um, scientific uh, garbage, 
that I don't know. I don't understand. And I, that's why I say garbage is because it, it's shit that other scientists wouldn't understand. But like, I don't understand. I didn't understand half the article because they were, they were utilizing terms and things from papers and stuff that I'm just not literate with that kind of stuff. As I assume 99.9% .9 of people aren't. And right. so that confuses it. And that's actually a problem with scientific when, when, uh, even when Brett and Heather talk about stuff, like they'll, they'll, you, they'll talk a bit about the scientific science behind it and people get lost. And I think they do a good job of trying to break that down, but it's hard. And uh, to put it into layman's terms. And so for me, the authors were like, Brett is immoral and wrong and full of craziness so much so that it, it's the harm that he causes is measurable and they don't go on to measure the harm. So I don't know how the <laughs> fuck they made that claim. But that was the other thing is like the third right. paragraph you read. It's measurable harm. And then they go on and cite a bunch of stuff that I can't follow because I'm not I'm not literate with that stuff. Um, and so I'm supposed to take it on faith that what they're saying is true. But I don't trust anyone. And that includes, honestly, Brett and Heather a lot of the time when they talk about how science shows shit. I'm always skeptical because everyone who's saying stuff right now about how science shows, shows stuff is they're, they're not saying everything and they're not taking everything into account. So I'm skeptical of that stuff. There's people I trust more than others based on previous um, things that they've said. And I think Heather and Brett fall into that. I trust them more than most because the shit that they've been saying for the last year is by and large come to fruition is true. But um, then the authors make claims that Brett and the other two weren't really making. Right. That's a straw man, isn't it? Is that the straw man fallacy? I, I think it's similar. To, yeah, they get that basically. And then um, they also said that essentially that the, how did they phrase it? They're like, basically, there's two arguments that Brett's making and the other two doctors were making. And that's that, um, like, which is more reasonable that um, there's this, uh, that there's this conspiracy that big pharma is telling the health departments we're going to make a bunch of money push these vaccines first which is what brett essentially is claiming for the most part or yeah. that ivermectin is not as effective based on shitty studies that were done because they're not and we need to do more research and it's like honestly both of those things are probably true like when because the authors frame this argument this way and i'm like quite frankly I'm not a big conspiracy theorist, but given what I've seen out of quote unquote big pharma, it's not at all beyond the pale for me to think that big pharma would lobby the shit out of health organizations and the government because this is, this is funded by taxpayer dollars from the government to green light fast tracking vaccines so that they can literally make billions of dollars. Like, let's not so forget that, like, in the last, like, two years, we just, our, our government just sentenced uh, Pharma Bro, uh, Martin Scarelli, to, to prison for overcharging on opiates or whatever for, like, years. Like, thousands of dollars per, you know, uh, um, bottle of opiate to, like, flood opiate. Like, I mean, like, that was very yeah. clearly, like, a big fucking issue in which he, he himself made billions, but so did every other pharmaceutical company and every other doctor. Like, five years ago, that was a conspiracy theory. And so it's well, like, I, we're like fresh off that. It's like, of course this shit can happen. I don't Historically speaking, in terms of the large pharmaceutical companies, it would be far weirder and much harder to believe if they didn't. 
exactly put some sort of pressure uh lobbying dollars all of the rest of that to get their patented product in front of as many people as possible we it's, see this with cigarettes i mean this is the same thing with cigarette companies all over again yeah it's, it's, like, it's what they do. I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's normal in. operating and, and they are legally obligated to do so if they're a public company. Yeah. So, and so yeah, of course they're going to do that. It was know. just a bad argument. It's like the, the argument should not be there's been bad studies that show ivermectin is effective and we should study it more or there's this crazy ass conspiracy by pharma pharmaceutical companies trying to make billions off of American taxpayer dollars. It's like, that's, that's a shitty argument because literally both of those things could be true. Yeah. Like, and it's not even, like I said, it's not beyond the pale. It's like extremely likely to me. And I probably, I think for probably a lot of people, like, I don't think anyone was shocked when they were like, pharmaceutical companies might try and do this. It's like, of course they would. That's all they've ever done. My girlfriend needs um, uh, EpiPens because she's allergic to soy. She doesn't need it for that. But um, and she's allergic to most nuts and legumes. And so mm. she's basically allergic to everything that tastes good because it has <laughs> soy nuts or nuts in it. Right. And, and other, yeah. And so like then that sucks for her, so she carries EpiPens. And I think when we first started dating, they were like 40 or 50 bucks. They're like 100 bucks now on health insurance. Holy shit. Sometimes they're like 400. Like it, it, there's just like crazy spikes. And so it's cheaper to like buy them in Canada because they're less money there. And it's like for anaphylactic shock pen, it's like it's it liter- literal robbery. And she actually doesn't compare to some people. Her anaphylactic shock isn't that bad. Um, I've had to stab her with an EpiPen and it's bad. Um, it's terrifying. And I thought she was going to die. I found out when we got to the hospital that, that she um, you're supposed to take someone to the hospital regardless, but that basically giving them uh, Benadryl and stabbing them with an EpiPen is about what you do. And then you monitor the symptoms. Okay. And so technically speaking, she would have been fine either way, but we're going to go to the hospital every time. I'm not going to risk that. Some people just fucking die, right? They just, it's so bad. They just die. And so you have to have an EpiPen. There's like not really a way around that. If you want to interact in the world, especially if you're allergic to like certain kind of dust pollens and stuff and like they're everywhere. It's like, you need one. And so you can get away with charging shit tons of money and it's robbery. And it's like, this stuff happens all the time. From what I understand, insulin, same way. If you are insulin's the other thing. Yeah. yeah, They're jacking up the prices and there's not a fucking thing you can do about it. I have seen... I like to go into the the doctor's office. They have a pharmacy there to get my meds uh, through the pandemic, just so I could be around people and hear them socialize. And it gets me out of the house. I can walk. Or you could walk around that kind of shit. And I would say I'd get my meds once a month. Probably a quarter of the time I was in there, there was somebody at the counter who was furious because I go to a hospital uh, or a doctor's office. Sorry, that's um, fairly low income, and. Um, from what I understand. And they're like, I don't have the money for $1,300, $1,400, $2,000 a month for insulin medication, which is expensive for someone who's not low income. But from what I gather, the place I go is is, is low income. It's the closest one to me. And and, um, insulin is just disgusting. And they're like, I need insulin or I'll die. Like, and the pharmacist can't do anything because it's not really their, they don't have any control over this. Right. Their job is just to be the bearer of bad news. And, And they're like, I don't have like, I got laid off. I got no health insurance. It's two grand for insulin. If I don't take it, I'll die. 
Good luck. It's like good luck. Yeah. You know, and it, well, this <laughs> this in the same country, the one of two countries in the entire fucking planet that is allowed to advertise pharmaceutical products on television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so all of which is to say, quote unquote, big pharma has an enormous influence on um, society in the United States. Yeah. And I this that argument was it was a shit argument for me. I was like, that's you're you're literally making the wrong arguments against against this thing. It's like those things are both both can easily be true. I, my suspicion is that they actually both are true. Um, I vaguely remember the the two, do- uh, I guess, three doctors, because I think Brett's technically a doctor. Um, he's a doctorate, at least um, yeah. all three of them in that podcast. Um, from what I understand, we're from what I remember, we're actually pretty clear about the fact that like the studies had issues, but that and there weren't very many of them and they, they, they needed to be tested more. But that yep. what they did show is that it was effective. Um, not they may have mentioned like miracle cure or that kind of thing. I, I can't remember. They, um, the authors used some terms that I don't remember from the podcast, but that doesn't mean much. I could have just forgot them. But I do remember them being like, this is not an exact replacement. It's just in third world countries where ivermectin is very popular because it's given out for free to, to combat a whole host of problems. They were giving it out for COVID and we were, you were seeing strong results. So yeah. we should at least look into this. And and the authors actually make that point. They're like, we should still, we should probably do some more testing. And it's like, yes, we should do some more testing. Like, that's the whole point for me is like, that's where the conspiracy theory comes from for me is it's like, this apparently works. So why don't we do cheap testing instead of expensive testing? Because it's cheap to test with this shit because it's a repurposed, you know. Well, uh, I tell you, Bo. I'm glad you brought that up, and I'll tell you why we don't do the cheap testing. Um, no, so that, that brings up a good point that um, Brett, and it might have been Pierre Corey or, or someone he was talking to, but they were discussing the validity of uh, double-blind placebo-controlled studies versus other studies. Um, and, and those are great when you can do them. Double-blind studies, and if I say double-blind, I mean double-blind, placebo-controlled, blah, 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 because there's a difference. Um, but a, a good double-blind study is, if done correctly, very informative. It's awesome. It's also very expensive. Yeah. And to think that that is the only way to glean useful information about something is just fucking false. You know, ask any doctor who's practiced for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, there are ways of seeing if something is effective that are not a precise double-blind study. And that information is valid and useful and can save lives, can and has saved lives. Um, But this emphasis on the double-blind studies seems like just one more tool to try to discredit ivermectin. Because these other studies, while they're not double-blind, are showing enough promise that even if they're off by a bit one way or the other, it's still pointing in a useful direction. Mm-hmm. Additionally, we are seeing things historically, like you said, in Africa, where ivermectin is much more common. For geez, I don't know some fucking strange reason, the incidents are lower in the areas that have access to ivermectin. It's just all of this mounting evidence that while not the perfectly controlled scientific study is valuable information that it seems like everybody is being told to ignore. 
Yeah. And the downside seems very, very um, minute in terms of uh, health risks because we have such a long history with ivermectin. Um, it, it, to my understanding, and this may not be specific, but something on the order of there have been fewer deaths or serious reactions from ivermectin in the last 30, 40 years than there have been adverse reactions from the vaccines since they've been introduced, which is under a year. Yep. So the, the scale at which we're seeing problems arise and the, uh, the usefulness of ivermectin seems pretty fucking clear. Like, this is a reasonably safe thing to try. It's inexpensive. We could save some lives. But we're getting pushback from, you know, effectively everywhere now that even Quillette is pushing back, that it just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The other Except thing for the I, dollars and cents, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I found interesting is that, um, and I could have just missed this from the podcast, but I don't remember the the three individuals, the two doctors really, and they were talking about it in the podcast, mentioning that the dosages that they were giving were well above the recommended dosages. What I remember mm. them saying is that, because one of them was like, me and my kids take it, um, but that they were taking the normal allotted or recommended dosage once a week or once daily or whatever the recommended use was typically um, as a, as a prevent a prophylactic. And that when it was administered, it was administered at the recommended doses, maybe slightly higher, um, but nothing for a prolonged period. Um, so it was not to cause harm. Right. And then it was discontinued. They were, at once uh, s- symptoms uh, cleared up, then it was stopped. And the article painted it as the studies showed that the amounts that needed to be given were like drastically higher than what's recommended and that it, that can cause, that can have huge ramifications and it needs to be taken for a long period. And there was like a disconnect in the data to me. Um, like, yeah, I don't know the data, so I, I couldn't really like, that was part of the problem too, is that they were basically, they were taking every, it seemed like they were taking a large percentage of what the three in the podcast mentioned and saying, no, everything you said is wrong. It's actually the opposite. And I was like, well, now I don't know what the fuck to believe because you're, you're not saying it's slightly off. Here's why you're saying that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. You read it backwards. And it's like, well, well, and they're claiming that the, you know, all of the studies on vivermectin have only been done in vitro, in test tubes, with animal tissues, in doses also that would thing. just kill a person. That, that's um, what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, the, that's no. That's, that's literally not, not what, what I remember them saying. And I think, yeah. I, like, I'm pretty certain the doctors were like, no, they've been giving this out in South America and in Africa um, in normal, a lot of doses, and it's been working. Sometimes they'll do it daily when people are really bad. And then if preventative, they'll do it once a week or like whatever the recommendation was. But um, I was like, okay, so this is just like a complete disconnect. Um, So one thing I found that that was interesting, uh, and you had mentioned it, is like the the criticism of the like the the studies that were done poorly. And um, this actually brings up an interesting slippery slope. Um, and it's kind of a tangent from talking about the, uh, the first idea that came to my mind is, is a tangent from the, 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 um, from the vaccines and stuff, but, um, is criticizing ideas because the tests were done shittily. And the idea that comes to mind is the, that unconscious bias testing that, uh, people that, that like, um, uh, 
woke ideologists like Robin DiAngelo is the one that comes to mind in particular because she just did a a um, an interview where she where she talked about how the uh, the unconscious bias tests results and stuff and, and the, the data is like super clear um, and strong um, about how everyone's got unconscious bias but there's like a huge number of holes to poke in the unconscious bias testing um, yep. for a whole host of reasons um, and so th- the interesting thing that I find is that on one end you have a legitimate reason to criticize things because the testing that's done is flawed. So you should point out those criticisms. But on the other end, you can't always have the best, most solid testing because it's expensive and hard to do and all that kind of shit. And so where's the line where you just write something off or don't? Does that make sense? Yeah. Because by the logic of what these people are doing in this article uh, about the the tests that Brett and the two doctors cite, um, if we follow what you're saying, which is you don't just throw it out because it isn't the best, we should also then theoretically include um, the unconscious bias testing as something that could be valid. Um, Now, it it could actually be valid. I don't think that it necessarily is to the degree that um, woke ideologists would like it to be uh, in terms of you know, being able to identify at the age of like two that two-year-old white kids are racist against black people, but because um, that's partly what the tests, sh- uh, quote unquote, show right. is um, is color bias. Um, because there's many ways to explain that, especially at a young age. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like there's an interesting problem there. It's like, okay, how do you determine when things that aren't done as as properly as they could be are still valid or not? Like what, what's the, what's the defining line? Cause it can't be, well, I find woke ideology shit to be bullshit. So I'm just going to throw up that shitty test, but I like Brett and Heather. So I'm going to include their, the tests that they cite that are poorly done. Right. Cause that's just, that's actual bias. Right. And so, um, obviously people have to be careful of stuff like that. Cause then you just allow what you want to believe to, to be the, the dictator of, um, of what you include and don't include as evidence. Right. Um, there is a mechanism for that when doing a meta-analysis. There's a, a confidence rating. Um, and for the listeners, if you're not familiar, a meta-analysis is basically just an analysis of other analyses. So you take all these studies, you, you put them in a big old pile, you look at the ones that you're very confident you have accurate information, others maybe not so confident but still useful, that type of thing, and you mash them all up and say, what does this all say in the big picture? Um, and that's very useful because maybe there is one study that was done poorly or had some sort of anomalous result. It helps to level that out. Sure. Um, okay. So yeah, there, there is a mechanism to it. It doesn't seem to be being applied in particularly conscious bias training, uh, methodology, but the, the mechanism is in place. And even to that end, as I was, uh, talking about earlier with this article stating that if you took out these two studies that they cite, it would reverse the outcome of this meta-analysis. And it's just not true. They did yeah. exactly that, you know, effectively live. It's a recording, but they did it right there, reran the meta-analysis because it's just a click of a button in the software. Um, and it effectively didn't change. You know, it went slightly up. So even though those mechanisms are in place, they're either being misused or ignored. Yep. Um, Misty, I, I, I wasn't aware of that, which that, that makes more sense. That, that makes yeah. me, um, 
that kind of clears that up for me because that, that would be one of my big things is that I would want to know because that seems like a big issue for a big hole in arguments is like, yeah. okay, well, now we're at the mercy of how people feel about shit. And I, I don't like that. I don't, feelings are important and we have them and they're necessary and they do have their place. But when it comes to making population level decisions in particular, um, I actually am not even sold that feelings should be used at all, but maybe some should be like it, there. That's partly why we have the scientific method is that there's an analytical non feelings biased approach to how to solve population level problems. And so having something like you said, like the confidence level thing seems like it would help with that. Um, yeah. With a biological the, problem. Yeah. Your feelings don't matter. And that's not to say that your feelings don't matter in biology, but this is a biological problem. We got a virus. Therefore, we need to look at it from a biological framework. Mm -hmm. And biology doesn't care about your feelings. Which yep. is why, just like you said, we need a method that can remove that from the process. As best as possible, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things from the article that I thought was interesting, and um, again, this could also be, I could have misheard what was said in the podcast with Brett and the two doctors, but I'm pretty certain I distinctly remember uh, Brett in particular talking about how the, like, the... Um, the possibility of had ivermectin been initially distributed in the U.S. while a vaccine was being created, what that could have done to the pandemic and how many lives could have been saved up until that point, whether it was in a year or 18 months or two years or whatever. Um, I, I distinctly remember him hypothesizing about that particular um thing but if you read the article it's they what they basically say is that they don't ever address that they 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 address they criticize him as if this is a the ivermectin is a replacement for the vaccines like they you know miracle right. drug a cure-all yep. and it's like that that's that's a from what i remember that's actually like not even at all what they mentioned like what i actually took from the podcast initially and this is why i texted you and was like the article doesn't really change my opinion and the, and the reason it doesn't in part from the negative the negativity of it is that i have a hard time with with that cuz it was so negative but it's because my recollection of the podcast was it seems as if this thing works it's safe it's old school technology that we know the long term ramifications of because it's mm -hmm. been around for 40, 50 years. So we know what's going to happen. If you keep taking this over a long period, there isn't downstream 40 year effects where bad shit happens. We don't know that about the mRNA vaccine, period, because it's only been around for one year. So that's a good thing. Um, but in tandem with creating these kinds of vaccines, this could have severely reduced the symptoms and hospitalizations and deaths of people during the pandemic until a vaccine was created to fix the, to cure the problem, essentially to like make you immune to it in tandem. As in, this is like a, like you said, a prophylactic, but um, this is like a, um, a stopgap. This is duct tape before you, you know, or, or a Band-Aid before you get your arm set in a splint to, to, to fix the problem, to fix the break. Yeah. And they present the article as this is vaccines are the cure-all and they're suggesting some kind of witch doctor magic that 
doesn't work. And it's like, that's not what I remember taking from that podcast. I, maybe I just missed something and that's actually what they say. But what I distinctly remember, like I said, is what could have been had this been in addition to the vaccine, used in addition to the vaccine. I'm like, that was my whole thing with it is like, that's why the conspiracy is believable to me is it's like, this is basically a free drug for pharmaceutical companies. Right. Like they, they're literally giving this out for free in other countries to prevent yeah. river blindness and some other issues. It's like, okay, so you could theoretically give it out for free in America, but you could do it in the third world countries, other countries as well. It's like, give it out for free. And if you know that the long-term ramifications are very low, then the risk is low. So it's not like this is going to hurt much. And if it actually helps even half as much as the data shows, I mean, hospitalization rates alone in America could have could have gone down by a quarter, a half, a third, a 10%. It doesn't matter. Like, even if hospitalizations decrease by 10% in the first six months of the pandemic, like that alone probably could have been enough to, I don't know, but it could have been enough to warrant not, um, the country not needing to shut down. Yep. Who knows? Well, and like, the, I, the time component is so critical with this vaccine. Like the longer that we wait and the longer that it's around doing its thing and mutating, uh, the worse it's going to get. So, you know, acting soon, you know, stitching time kind of thing. Um, yeah. If we could have got a better handle on this earlier on, the benefits of that would have been exponential, not just additive. Um, it's it's well, a shame. It, yeah. I, I will say that I think, um, you know, Brett has said many times that there's a potential that had this been used earlier, we could eradicate COVID-19 from the population and, and make it literally yeah. go extinct. Um, and maybe he said that with a bit more fervor than would be prudent. They, um, do, they do criticize that. And I think that that's fair. Yeah. That's a fair criticism. Um, I think it's, I think it's a fair question in terms of, you know, what would have happened because it's still a concern. There is still a chance that, uh, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is going to be with the human population in perpetuity. It's never going away like the flu. That is a possibility. And the longer that we wait to the more likely that is. Yeah. To, exactly. Um, so time is of the essence. Brett could very well be right. He could be wrong about that as well, but he could be right. Um, you know, the combination of vaccines and prophylaxis and treatment with ivermectin, to my mind, could only help. I don't see the potential for a whole lot of harms that come out of adding ivermectin, other than all the political bullshit. And yep. like, you know, as we mentioned in the Ivermectin podcast with the Emergency Use Authorization Act and, and all that shit. But let's just say we got that sorted and both are available as tools. Um, fucking why wouldn't you? I don't get it. Well, right, right. Exactly. And, and that's the part that I have trouble with, with, with the article is like they, they paint it as part, part of the article paints the, the suggestion of the three in the podcast as it actually does measurable harm and you guys are insane for suggesting that we take ivermectin right and that's what the three are saying is the exact opposite so one of them is wrong in this particular instance sometimes they could right. both be right but in this case there isn't a scenario i don't think where 
no harm can be caused and a lot of harm is caused at the same time. Right. I, I, and so it's like one of them is incorrect. So whichever one is actually correct, that's probably the way we should go. I, that seems reasonable to me. Um, but to Brett's claim that we could possibly eradicate the um, the virus, um, it's been more and more of a, of a thing now. But I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was some doctors who called for herd immunity and some who thought that was ridiculous and put needless lives in danger. And now, from what I understand, more doctors are like, ah, herd immunity is actually what we're trying to reach now. We need to get more people vaccinated so we can reach a herd immunity of vaccinations. And then they're, you know, it'll die out. Um, As I understand it, and this could be wrong, but um, the notion of herd immunity, whether people are vaccinated or not, is irrelevant because people get COVID, they build up antibodies for a short period of, for a period of time. So they, the, the chances of them getting it again are very slim, um, maybe higher than if you're vaccinated. I believe that there is a, the chances are a little bit higher than if you're vaccinated, but it's still very slim. And so the same end result applies if everyone either gets COVID or everyone gets vaccinated, there's nowhere for COVID to spread. Right. So, which would track with the notion that the earlier you fix the problems, the less likely it is to stick around. So if at the beginning, people take a drug where it's shown to at least have some effectiveness at reducing symptoms and getting people hospitalized and dying, or in people getting hospitalized and dying, so people still get COVID, but they're not having the, the crazy ass effects afterwards. And if they do have them, you can treat with the same drug to reduce the symptoms. Then you don't close things down. Everyone essentially gets it, and then it goes away early which is basically what Texas did without ivermectin. And people were like, Texas is crazy because a lot of people died up front. And then Texas opened before everyone. Um, I, I don't think there's really, there's some, like cases went dramatically down when they reopened. And I think they're still down. I mean, they're still going up. Oh, they're going up like everyone else's is right now with the Delta variant through the unvaccinated. But um, from what I, from what I understand of the numbers, like, People were like, tech, uh, what Biden called Texas, um, uh, what was the term he used? It's a synonym um, for stupid. Um, but uh, Was that the Neanderthals? Neanderthals, that, called that, them Neanderthals. Yeah. And then like two weeks later, their, their, their daily death count was zero. And, and it continued that way, like through March and April and May. And like, I don't know, I haven't looked at the numbers in a while. So like I said, I, I know they've gone up because I think every state has gone up, but but I think maybe Hawaii or something. But um, it's like, obviously they did something right when they opened up where it was just blind luck for like two, a few months. But I think what happened most likely is that a lot of people got it initially and then it had less and less to spread. And so the people who got sick, got sick and died and you saw a spike and then it sort of tapered off like they tend to do viruses tend to do with that sort of thing and maybe there's a an argument to be made that the best thing to do is lock down instead but it's just one way to try it and eliminating all the hospitalizations and deaths by giving people a drug to to stop those would have had even an even greater effect in a state like texas because that's what they did and so it's like it's not clear to me that that's not an in, that, that that that's an invalid way to handle the problem. And the authors of the article presented as like this crazy quackery, right? Is this this yeah. immoral way to do it? And it's like it, really, I mean, I, I've read numerous articles where, where people are like, 
we're finally starting to take into account the number of deaths that are tangentially related to the pandemic, but aren't as a result of getting COVID and dying. And I'm referring to, you know, suicides, um, you know, uh, domestic abuse, murder, uh, 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 domestic abuse, deaths, um, uh, uh, those kinds of things, alcohol related deaths, gun violence, deaths, all that kind of shit, um, assault deaths and stuff. And it's like, of course, people are finally writing about it. Like we, we talked about this, like literally a year ago, um, or not literally, but you know, like actually, yeah, literally a year ago, we talked about how we're going to see more deaths that are COVID related, but only tangentially because people aren't going to get COVID and die. They're going to be stuck in their houses. They're going to get depressed and they're going to kill themselves. They're going to drink too much. They're going to beat their spouses. They're going to go out and shoot people. And then which is going to be greater, the amount of deaths from not closing down or the amount of deaths tangentially related because we closed down. So we saved a bunch of lives because people are indoors, but they hate themselves and they hate life and they kill themselves anyways. Not to mention all the damage that it does not qualify as a death. People that have been set, also true. You know, financially destitute or yeah. going to have long-term issues with COVID and, and all the rest of it. It's not uh, solely about the death count. Um, but Sure, and those death, death counts death are going to rise, though, over the next few years because of what you're talking about. People right. are going to – they're not going to kill, kill themselves or go on a rampage or whatever. Now they might wait three or four years and go through a deep, dark depression and go down, you know, the alcohol road for a long time. And yeah. it's, it's only going to be in a couple of years that um, studies are really going to be able to say, okay, this can be totally attributed to, to being locked down during COVID. Um, boom. And it just took a while for it to come to fruition. And the same thing will happen with latent effects from getting COVID, right? Some people will have the long COVID and then may die in a year or two. But it isn't clear that one option, lockdown or not lockdown, is better than another in the long run. Um, I, I've never heard anyone make a case like a, what seemed to me to be a valid case that one is clearly better, period. Right. It's always been sort of up in the air as far as I can tell that whatever your risk tolerance is, you're going to feel one way or the other. So if you don't like risk at all, you shut the fucking country down. If you're more okay with risk or you just don't give a damn at all, you keep the, or you're just a, a, a full on libertarian, you don't touch people, you let them do what they want and you open, keep the country open. And, um, but there's give and takes, there's goods and bads to both. Right. Well, and you know, in a way like Texas and Florida were an experiment to that end because they did open up so much earlier. So we get to see what happened. And as it turns out, wasn't that big a deal. Wasn't all that different than the rest of the country that was super locked down. Yep. Uh, On the, the, cap, pretty, the cap. Yeah. yeah. Go yeah, ahead. It's, it's a valuable piece of information. In it terms is. of the, the efficacy yeah. of a lockdown. Go ahead. Yeah. The caveat to that, however, is in both states in particular, they're seeing, um, I think, quite a, a larger increases than average than the average state um, of COVID cases amongst the unvaccinated. Because basically, I think like 90 some odd percent of all cases now are unvaccinated people. Yeah. Like high um, like 90s. 90, yeah. Like 98 or something. Yeah. Because yeah. um, there's. And so that, that's good for those who are vaccinated, but um, those two states in particular, and then California, which I, I find ironic for a whole multitude of reasons, but um, but those two states are seeing a very st- steep increase in positive tests, COVID tests among the unvaccinated, because there's a, a larger percentage of people who are unvaccinated. Well, and because- I think that th- there comes a time when we got to shift gears in terms of um, 
personal freedoms and responsibilities. You know, when this a year ago, when this first broke out and everybody was freaking out with the you know the lack of understanding as to what it is, people are dying. Like this is a scary time. So okay, it's prudent to lock it down. Let's do our best to be safe, and that's something that we believe can help. A year later now, where you know, whatever the percentage is that people have gotten vaccines that want them. It's a different scenario because if you choose to not get a vaccination, that is your choice. You've got the right to do so. Um, and unless you've got a medical condition that won't allow it um, or, or some, some other, you know, withstanding cause. But I think most people are just that's their personal choice. They don't want to take a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Then that risk is more to themselves than it was prior. Prior, we were worried about everybody else, and if you get COVID, you can spread it, and that affects other people, so we all have to do the responsible thing. Now we have access to vaccines, and if you're really that worried about it, if you are a high-risk person or what have you, you now have the option of getting that vaccine. Yeah. And that dramatically reduces the potential harm to people that are not yourself, right? So now if you're just making a decision that affects you, that's completely different. That's your decision to make. You don't want to get a vaccine, you get sick and die of COVID. That was the choice that you made. It's unfortunate, but that was a choice you made. Um, But it doesn't have the same degree of impact that it did a year ago in terms of affecting other people. You know, if, if you got a vaccine, more than likely you're going to be just fine. And you probably want to get on with the rest of your life and, you know, making money so you can keep food in the fridge, that yep. type of thing. Um, so it's it's I, I don't think at this point we really can come at this question with the same mindset that we had a year ago, because now no, we know no. so much more. Now the vaccine's available. Now a lot of people have gotten the vaccine, which reduces the uh, the chance for you know, large outbreaks and stuff like that. It's just a different scenario that nobody seems to be acknowledging. Yeah, I agree. And I actually, this is part of the problem I have with the mask mandates now versus earlier on, Yeah, is that um, the odds that I get COVID as someone who has the vaccine are extremely low. But the data that I will transmit it to someone else if I get it isn't there yet. From what I understand, there isn't really any data that's like you still have the ability to transmit it. Yeah, I haven't seen anything either. And that's like I keep hearing people wondering about it, but it's like that should like ha- I, my, my ex my uh, hypothesis is that the reason there's no data is because the risk of getting COVID once you've had a vaccine is so low that there isn't enough people to do testing on it. There isn't like enough way to, enough data to be like, oh yeah, you can still spread it. Yeah. And so that's a question that I think that'd be helpful to be answered, because if the answer comes back and it's like, if you get COVID after having the vaccine, you don't transmit it or the transmission rate is super low. People who are, vac- who have, are vaccinated, I don't see any reason for them to have to wear a mask. Like, there's no logical reason why. Right. But if they're they're going to get it, they can still get it. It's quite easy. The vaccine prevents symptoms only, and so they're not going to get hospitalized or die, basically, period, 0% chance, and they can transmit it. Then it's like, okay, well. Yeah, that's different. Basically, then it's like, okay, I don't know if I'm going to get it. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to know. And then everyone around me is vulnerable. 
and I never know when that's going to happen. I don't think that's the case because I feel like things would be a lot worse than they are, but um, like that's a lot of unknowns and that's scary. And then it's like, okay, well, it makes sense to keep masks maybe then if that's, if that, that's what the data shows, that, then that makes sense. Yeah. Um, because essentially I'm, you know, I have no way to know that I have it and I could at any time give it to somebody. Um, to your point of what you said, if what I'm saying is true, then I actually think that nothing has changed between now and day one of the shutdown, the lockdown. Because day one of the lockdown in Washington State, March 18th, um, which is a Monday, nobody knew if going outside alone was enough to get you sick. Like that was the fear. It was like, you need to wear masks when you're outside, period. This is a Jay yeah, put, said, the governor. Put your groceries in a separate room for three days, disinfect everything. Yeah, yeah it was nice. You, you, you touch a box of crackers at the store, wash your hands. If you go outside to your car, you need a mask, like fucking crazy stuff. And I remember thinking like, this cannot be real. Like there's no way that if I walk to my own mailbox and I'm not within 70 feet of anybody, that there's a risk that COVID is just floating through the fucking air and I'm going to catch it. It's like, I'm, but maybe, maybe we're in a dystopian shitty movie from the eighties and the nineties, <laughs> um, mostly from the nineties when those came out. But, and it's like, that's the thing, but we found out that that's not the case, but the, if what I'm suggesting is true and that I can catch it, I won't know. I'm not going to get hospitalized. Hospitalized, I'll be asymptomatic. I won't die, and I can give it to everybody. Then that's day one of the pandemic again. And so, yeah. then the the fear is warranted. Um, it's unlikely. I think that that's the case. I, I I feel like that would have already been known. Well, I can. I, can, I think we can logically deduce that part of the vehicle of transmission uh, are the symptoms that you get. So coughing and sneezing and all that stuff that that helps spread viruses that's part of yeah. why they've adapted to do exactly that because it helps them spread well if you're not symptomatic then you're not coughing and sneezing all over everything by definition you are going to be at least less likely to transmit you know yeah. if you're completely asymptomatic then it's going to take a lot longer and a lot more exposure to somebody in order to transmit the disease so even if it's not um distinctly effective in preventing transmission it's gonna help prevent transmission yeah even like, if it's just small no way around that, that. right yeah yeah um but yes th that's an interesting problem that I'm, I'm surprised that uh there isn't like data that's there's a lot of data on people who've gotten COVID and how the vaccines have worked so like it seems reasonable to me that there should be data around the ability to transmit it yeah once you've had the vaccine and um Speaking of data, just to throw another fucking wrench in the works, um, there's the question of how much we can trust the data that we've been giving, been given. Yes. Um, Heather brought up on a recent podcast, um, and I'll probably get the numbers wrong, you know, refer to the Dark Horse podcast for the exact numbers, but something along the lines of um, there were a group of, I think it was like 400 people, maybe it was like 150 but a group of people that um, they were, I think some of them were hospitalized. They were vaccine. Some were vaccinated. Ultimately the, the people included in the study, they all died for whatever reason. And I think 10% of them were vaccinated the majority of them had no antibodies 
So they've never had COVID. It was, uh, you know, some other circumstance that, that led to their demise in the hospital. Um, but the gist of it is that all of these people, including the people that have never had COVID and also including the people that had the vaccine, and I think they recovered from the COVID portion of it, they were all marked down as COVID deaths. Yeah. Where the, the data actually seems to point to there were uh, a group of people that had adverse reactions from the vaccine. That was kind of the whole point of this thing that we're looking to see if there's any adverse reactions from the vaccine. And even though there was a group of people that got the vaccine, it looks like the vaccine is what caused them problems. I'm sure there were other underlying conditions, but the vaccine seemed to uh, be a part of that equation. None of those were listed as vaccine deaths. They were all COVID deaths, even though a good chunk of those people never had COVID. Well, yeah, that, and that was a thing early on in the pandemic, too, where like when all the deaths really started to ramp up in like May and June, yeah. is that the reports came out that everywhere deaths were just getting recorded as COVID deaths. And in fact, I, I believe some places in New York in particular, it was strongly suggested that they get listed as COVID deaths for some reason. I forget why, but it was like a big deal. Yeah. It was like a oh, death, death during this whole thing, COVID death. Yep. And it's like, well, and similar things like they, no way to tell the, the actual cause of death seemed to be actually other things. And, and Mr. Johnson, I know that you just had a heart attack and a stroke, but uh, your neighbor in the room over there, he sneezed and had COVID. So that's a COVID death. Yep. Yeah. And, and that actually is, I remember that is adding to the confusion initially of like how to tell if you have COVID. Because there's already like 15 symptoms and they mimic like the top 15 symptoms of having a cold when you Google, do I have a cold? Yeah. You know, and but they're all the most common symptoms for like every single ailment ever. And so, and then you add on to these, all these random deaths for like, oh, you, you know, if you, if you have a stroke, you may have COVID. Like if you have a heart attack, it's like, well, fuck, if, if I open the, you know, the medical book of shit that can go wrong with me, it might all be COVID. After some point, it's like everything that can happen. Like if you have a brain hemorrhage, COVID, you know, if, <laughs> like just crazy shit. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't help, you know. Um, it it so comes back to the. The, the, the failing trust in institutions. And yeah, and that, that's talk the problem about too, data, Then you got to question, well, who collected the data? How were the studies done? Are they Were they liberals affiliated? or conservatives? Yes. Like, you know, were they, you know, were there enough people of color or was it just white men or were there enough women? Like, otherwise the, de the data is falsified. And it's like, I, I, I vaguely remember reading an article back in like July about that, last July, like a full year ago where it was like, you know, there was concern about the data because of the diversity of the people. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so we just throw out, like, I, ugh. we just want honest <laughs> science, man. Yeah. Just good old fashioned, honest science. <laughs> just the facts, man. Yeah. Now yeah. I'm actually, so I'm curious cause I, I've never actually looked this up. This is going to be a silly question, um, but I've never heard anyone specify this. I'm wondering if you know the answer. Are masks supposed to be effective at keeping the virus that I have from getting out or protecting you from the virus getting in, or both? I believe both, but more so to the former, meaning it's most okay. effective in keeping you from spreading little spittle particles and whatnot and spreading it versus yep. uh, keeping you from getting it. I think they're 
there is evidence that there is some degree of help in keeping you from contracting it. Um, but it is by no means, you know, foolproof or anything like that. It's going to help. Might just be a little bit, but it should help some. But yeah. most importantly, it keeps you from putting viral particles out into the air. That's what I thought. Because otherwise, if, if the opposite was true, then the, the mask mandate argument would make no sense. Right. Because if, if the masks were more specifically designed to, to, to stop you from getting something, then the only people who should wear masks, there should be no mask mandate, period. And the only people who should wear them are the people who are worried about getting them. Right. Right. The mask mandate would makes more sense if it stops you from spreading it. Thus, stop the spread. I kind of figured this was the case because the whole stop the spread thing, um, like that's pretty on the nose with what we're talking about here. Um, but I never heard anyone specify it exactly. And I was just, I, I've always just been curious. I just, it just came, popped into my head and I was like, I wonder because if it is specifically again, designed to stop someone from getting it, then it's like, well, wear one if you're concerned, otherwise don't like, yeah. if you're unconcerned, why should you have to wear one? Like then it's not irresponsible for other people. It's irresponsible for you. Right. And so the responsibility issue is a non-starter there, if that's the case. And so that does make that makes more sense to me, and um, that makes sense why the responsibility claim comes up a lot. Like you, you know, responsibility has to take precedent over your rights if your ability to spread it is um, increased by not wearing a mask or by not wearing a mask or something. Because my mask isn't as effective as um, it kind of seemed to me that given how masks function, that it would it would work both ways fairly effectively or equally effectively. Right, because if it can stop stuff from coming out, it's the same cloth on the outside, so it should stop shit from coming in too. Well, right? I think like, the the difference being yes, but I think the difference being um, at the source, like meaning your mouth, if you talk or yell or cough or whatever, um, the particles start out as large as they're going to be, and they may yeah. atomize a little bit or whatever as they spread. Versus anything coming at you is probably pretty small. Um, yeah. particularly if you're in a virally dense room, like you're inside with poor ventilation for an hour, um, the itty bitty little particles that have actually become airborne. So not droplets, but they're quite literally floating in the air for maybe an hour. Um, those are probably going to get through the, the yeah, porousness yeah. of the, of the cloth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes more sense. That's a bummer. Cause I would love to grapple without masks with everybody, but, um, that, that, that may not come around yeah. for a while though i think most gyms nowadays are grappling without them anyways but uh um i understand the reason for the owner of our gym not wanting us to do that at the moment yeah it we'll particularly see. sucks though <laughs> no it does I, i'm used to it now like it doesn't bother me that much but um i, I know for a lot of people are struggling with it because it's, it's fucking hard to breathe well yeah i soak mine so fast i mean i you know i'm a sweaty kind of dude so it, yeah. it becomes literally just fully soaked within five or 10 minutes. And then, as I've mentioned many times before, it's like trying to breathe through saran wrap. Just yep. very ineffective. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, I've been lucky. I've only I've only tapped out from suffocation from the mask, I think, twice. Okay. And both times it was in and I put myself in the I like to say that someone else got me in this situation, but I put myself in the situation myself. It's like in my bicep over my mouth. So my okay. elbow crosses the center line, my and you know I basically give my buddy the elbow, and then they bring it across, and then my bicep covers my mouth, 
over the mask and I, I can't pull uh, in any air because the, the mask is over my mouth. Yeah. And <laughs> Pushed in place. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. And so like without a mask, you can breathe somewhat, especially through the nose yeah. a little bit. But if the mask gets covers up the nose holes in the mouth, then you're, it's like, okay, tap, I can't breathe. But, um, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people want to have them I actually don't, um, I don't breathe very hard when I grapple either. That's a good sign. Yeah. And so like, I, I've spent a lot of time, um, really working on how I breathe when I grapple. Cause I used to gas out as a white belt, like most white belts, white belts, you know? And so, um, I found that to be the other thing is like, I don't really get into a position where like, I can't pull in air because I'm like out of it and I need to draw in lots of quick breaths. I'm usually just like nice, slow breaths, even if I'm, my heart rate's up. Um, but I've noticed a lot of people, they they gas out a little bit quicker probably because they, you know, they're coming back from the pandemic and they're not, it isn't good a shape as they used to be. That's probably the biggest thing. Or they're just heavy breathers and heavy breathing through the mask is hard. Yeah. That's me. There's a few guys in the gym that are, that, that I see them run into that issue where they're just like, they're sucking air and like, they can't get any because of the mask. And, yeah. um, and like I, for whatever reason, I've been able to, to figure out how to like slowly bring the air in. Um, but so uh, I'm lucky and better than everyone too, of course, because of it. But, uh, <laughs> well done, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, um, we'll see my, my expectation is that um, as we see how the Delta variant affects everyone locally. Yeah. Because um, like we can still technically under CDC guidelines remove masks. That hasn't been so changed it, yet. The, so I've heard about the mask mandate in California. Did Inslee reinstate the mask mandate or something? Did I miss that? No, I don't think so. Okay. Okay. I, good, I, don't th- I don't. I don't think he has yet. I'm not sure. Okay. But what he's from what last time I checked, if, like two weeks ago or so, um, at the beginning of the month, three weeks ago, the he basically instituted essentially what the CDC recommended, which is that um, those who are vaccinated can gather basically anywhere without needing to mask up if you want to, indoors or outdoors, um, and. Uh, it's uncle- it's a little unclear to me about schools with kids because on one hand i think part of what insley says in one in the referendum or whatever it is on one end um you he wants everyone to be masked because kids can't get vaccinated but on another it's optional like i i don't it's not quite clear to me mm. um how that works, but I believe the CDC, maybe what he said was people should be masked, but the CDC recommends that it's fine if schools want to unmask because the, the transmission with kids is so low. And if teachers yeah. are vaccinated and they're comfortable, then there shouldn't be much issue. Yeah. Something to that effect. Like I said, it's not super clear to me. Um, I haven't looked at it actually in two weeks, so I, I just forget the particulars. Um, and so I'm fine with wearing a mask with the kids. I, if parents are more comfortable with it, I get it. Um, we actually had two kids get COVID like two weeks in, or two weeks into opening in April. Oh, there okay. were two brothers. Yep, they had COVID from outside of the gym. Um, they came in, tried to do classes, were feeling pretty lethargic. I did, they're kids, so it was hard for me to tell. I just thought that they were tired from school sometimes especially young boys they'll come in and they'll have eaten candy all day and run around they come in and they're like <laughs> sugar crash they're like laying sure. on the mat like i can't i'm too tired to move like i had to i had to learn i had to read today you know like and um 
that kind of that happens all the time like it's super common and so like okay we'll go sit on the the bench and then mom came and took them home and get an email the next day i think they have covid i got tested positive i'm testing them close classes down no one got covid but those two okay it's like obviously masks work because they were grappling yeah and both of the kids were grappling like full-on with other kids they weren't partnered with themselves because they're four years apart or so and they're drastically different sizes um and so like i emailed the parents of the kids that were working with in particular was like you may want to get them tested just because you know we were doing side control and like their faces were right next to each other like you know or mount or whatever like you should check this out um no problems okay so that's at least good um but uh yeah it'd be nice to get a return for adults who were like i don't want to wear a mask or i'm vaccinated like i don't need to and then you know it's my choice yeah i think if you're vaccinated that that seems fair to me yeah um i probably my family probably want me to wait until they they know more data on the delta variant and then also more data on whether you can catch and then transmit it as a vaccinated individual right because if it's transmissible and catching it's a thing as someone who's vaccinated you know i have a 93 year old grandmother and a lot to worry about yeah yeah you know and it's like i there's been i think there's been basically no rehospitalizations and no deaths from catching COVID a second time so like, i'm not worried about getting i'm young and healthy so i'm like i'm not worried about getting sick you know I, my biggest worry my family's biggest worry obviously is my my grandmother-in-law yeah and 93 at you know 80 pounds and no muscle or fat you yeah. know she's like this this tiny stick this stick human she's gonna get covid and just die like I, yeah. I, you know i she got she had a cut on her arm like a, a month or two ago and like it still hasn't healed you know because she's 93 like it, just, it takes the body a long time to like get over shit yeah and so it's like you, you just got to be careful and which sucks on some level because i you know would rather not have to worry about this stuff but i also am not trying to kill my grandmother-in-law that's not you know i don't want anyone to lose lose a life and that's certainly not the best way to endear myself to my my in-laws and my my spouse so <laughs> oh you're that guy <laughs> rights 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 you know i killed grandma <laughs> like that's not <laughs> It isn't really well, how that that argument doesn't work that way. Right. You know, it's you got yeah you got to take some responsibility, and you know I've been pretty vocal, um, you know, on, uh, about this, and I you know I'm definitely uh, lean more libertarian than I think a lot of people, and so like for me, I, I've always been against being forced or compelled to wear masks. I don't like being forced or compelled to do anything, um, but there are plenty of people who are feel much more strongly about not wearing a mask than I do. And for me, it's the responsibility issue. It's look, if you've got people in your family where you're concerned about it, I don't care if other people think that it's a hoax or it's not as um, much of a problem as it is. It's made out to be. I think that's actually already um, been made clear with the data that it's not as big of a problem as people at least initially thought. Um, I don't know if you could equate it to the flu anymore, but whatever the case, you know, it, if you're generally worried about your family, then fine, whatever. Like, I don't care wear a mask but i don't think we should be compelled to wear them but that's a separate issue for me it's yeah well um, for me i draw a very clear line <clears throat> the difference between uh something that's been legislated or a uh an order from some form of authority 
versus the mechanism of social pressure. You know, if all of your friends are giving you shit to either wear a mask or get a vaccine or both, that is a very normal and effective social mechanism. As long as you are not compelled by a law or some other order. Like to me, that's, that's a very fucking clear line. For me, it is too. Um, And uh, so my my girlfriend is an example. Um, She vehemently disagrees with this. Um, for her, and I understand part of her argument, for her, it, um, she does not trust that people will make the right decision. That's well, She can use the mechanism of social, uh, social pressure by sure. making and, her case and, in a public forum to get people to agree with her. Then the more people that agree with her and are giving the same message, then there's a higher likelihood that other people that maybe wouldn't have complied before will comply. Yep. That's just normal social shit. That's that's how that works. But no, I it, it, I disagree with laws and and it, consequences. Yeah. You know, getting stuffed into a cage. Not that we've gone that far, but you know, all the yeah. tools that that could be used to enforce a law. I don't think any of that should be in play. No, me neither. And um, but yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting argument because I, I do see sides like of her argument in particular, and and I don't want to I don't know I don't want mean to pick on her because I'm not, but and I also don't want to straw man her argument without her being here too. So I'll do my best to articulate the argument. But um, near as I can tell, the the idea would be that, and fair enough because I don't sometimes I don't trust the populate people either. Like people are bad, I mean, people are good, but people lie, cheat, and steal, and are malevolent. And so on some level, it's like, yep, I agree. Um, but I do think that by and large, I don't have a problem putting my trust in people to make the right decision in these cases. Misinformation out there or not, I think that the vast majority of people, in particular where we're at, are trying to make the yeah. right decision. And um, hypothetically, I'd say that they don't. And that's her fear is that I don't trust people with the amount of people out there who are anti-vaxxers and, um, uh, you know, uh, um, don't believe in COVID, that COVID's real, that kind of shit. Because she actually is, knows people in her family who um, are both. Um, mm. And uh, and so that, that also is going to affect how she feels about it, of course, because she knows people who are like, I don't think the vaccines re- or the COVID's real. Um, and it's like, well, you're not seeing grandma then because it's fucking real and if you see grandma she's gonna die you know and it's like okay fair enough i get that um it's the law part that i like you said that i run into is it's like i and i understand the line because it's like if you don't implement a law and you trust people and that trust um gets betrayed people actually die that's what happens is that i put my trust in the people they don't follow a mass mandate and then people around me die and it's like fuck people we need a law to stop this but but Laws are dangerous. Giving, yeah. giving your freedom up to a governing body, even if it's a small freedom and it seems reasonable in this case, because there's a reasonable case to be made that we all clamp down under you know federal martial law or whatever and mask up or whatever the case and get rid of stuff. Like there, there's a reasonable case to be made for that. I don't fall on that side of the argument, but I understand the case for it. It's like, it's dangerous to do that because of the ramifications down the road. And my risk tolerance is high enough that I fall on the other side. Like you do um, her in her case, her risk tolerance is very low. Um, she's a very low risk individual and um, very hyper nervous about that. And so it doesn't surprise me that she would fall on the other side of mandate everyone to do it for some so there's no problems so i can be as safe as possible yeah and um, uh, it's, I, it's the classic argument for freedom those who would trade freedom for security deserve neither 
you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's um, not something we talk too much about because we just feel differently. And I think it's a risk tolerance issue for both of us. Yeah. I think that's really what it comes down to fundamentally is that we have different risk tolerances. And so in this instance, I think the, the fundamental predication is risk and risk tolerance. And so because we disagree, we're just going to disagree until one of us, our risk tolerance adjusts. And since that's unlikely to happen for a few decades, as we get older, that'll change. It's just, you know, and I, I'm not so um, tolerant of risk that I'm just throwing everything out and I'm like, fuck masks. I go to the store and like flip everyone off and call them sheep, you know, because people do that. <laughs> Look <laughs> like at the handles not... of the shopping carts. And yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, you're going to get COVID, bitch. Like, I'm not doing that kind of thing, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're there, buddy. Yeah. What do you think? I think we're good. I, um, I had a steak right prior to recording. And I'm about ready for another oh. for another one. So, go man, go! All right, yeah. and so I'll have uh, to find some protein for myself. Yeah, sweet everybody. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon, evening, or morning, whichever it may be. <laughs> See ya. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>